One of our favorite things to do here at Beyond Healing Center is therapeutic retreats. Our retreats are three to five days with holistic wraparound services, all designed to meet your personal needs and goals. You can choose from a menu of services, including EMDR, trauma-informed massage, nervous system-informed yoga and movement, and even equine therapy. From the moment you arrive to the moment you leave, we've crafted this experience to be one of safety and healing. Whether you're interested in a retreat for yourself, or if you're a therapist interested for a client, we would love to talk to you about how our retreats can be a part of a healing journey. Contact our retreat coordinator at therapy at beyondhealingcenter.com or visit our website at beyondhealingcenter.com for more information. Welcome to Beyond Trauma, a guide for your healing journey. This podcast is a project of Beyond Healing Media, where we value each person's humanity and what life experiences shaped you to be who you are. We, as the hosts of this podcast, seek to embody these ideas as we explore things like trauma, its impact on the body and mind, and even how it has shaped the way that we are in relationships. Trauma is not the end of our journey. So within this podcast, we will also discuss what it's like to heal, move forward, and grow as a human who has experienced pain. Hey guys, welcome back to Beyond Trauma, a guide for your healing journey. We are here in the studio with Bridger, Melissa, and myself, Mm -hmm. and Uh, We're just going to jump right into talking about a resource before we get into the episode. So you guys have heard us talk about it before, but we offer healing retreats here in Springfield, Missouri, and these are run through our team that we've kind of assembled at Beyond Healing Center of phenomenal people from the very beginning contact of, you know, your email contact to Brooklyn, our retreat coordinator into the therapist you work with, all of our adjunctive services. Everything is designed to be very focused on it being a healing retreat experience. So if this is something that you've heard us talk about before, maybe this is the first time, uh, maybe you're looking for like a holiday gift for yourself Mm -hmm. or for a family member or friend, I would really recommend checking out our website for the retreats. So the experience is really meant to be a getaway from home, um, just kind of a breakaway from reality where you get to go inward and consider all of your needs while having an entire team of staff considering all of your needs and doing everything they can to step in and meet your needs down to the delicious food that's served, the beautiful location that you stay in. Um, And then EMDR therapy is a really important part of the healing process. So you get three hours of psychotherapy every day, as well as massage therapy, yoga therapy, potentially equine assisted psychotherapy, a lot of different services. So if that seems interesting or you want more information, you can find that um, on our website at www.beyondhealingcenter.com. You can also just send us an email at therapy at beyondhealingcenter.com and let us know what you're interested in and we'll reach out for an initial consultation and kind of make a plan from there. Mm -hmm. All right. So today 
we are talking about um, a psychological process, which we're going to talk a little bit more about what all that means, but a psychological process called mentalization. Mm-hmm. Uh, other concepts related to this that kind of also get talked about are something called self-reflective capacity. And uh, we're going to specifically talk today about what role trauma plays in mm-hmm. shaping our mentalization and our self-reflective capacity. But let's talk about like what that what even is, that? is mm-hmm. what that is, um, because it's a it seems kind of like a to me, I think like an academic word at first, but really, um, especially in the work with my clients, mentalization um, or self-reflective capacity are something that I actually do help my clients understand and yeah. to actually learn what um, those concepts mean developmentally. So self-reflective capacity is something that um, develops the very kind of makeup of our brains and how we come to know what like what we are, who we are, and how we uh, kind of find ourselves in the world. Mentalization is a uh, concept that was coined by a uh, British psychoanalyst, Peter Fonagy, um, who is a um, just a very seminal contributor to a lot of uh, research specific to interpersonal neurobiology, if you've heard us talk about those things before. Um, mentalization being very simply just the way we understand our emotions and thoughts and the way we understand another person's emotions and thoughts and how those two then come together Mm -hmm. to form something new that's mentalization so it's not just about the uh kind of intrapersonal or like in your own head uh, making sense of your emotions and your thoughts but it's also about how you're making sense of another person's mm-hmm. emotions and thoughts and then what sense you make of those two things when you take them together. Mm-hmm. Very simply, that is what mentalization is. So Very simply. Very simply. <laughs> yes. I guess I should say um, as, very as complexly, simply that as you can describe it. Uh-huh. Those, are, those are the concepts. Um, the, and I don't uh, want to trail too far off if you catch me at any point and want to talk about this, um, just let me know. Um, I so love this kind of world of the of interpersonal neurobiology because to me, this is something that sets us apart um, mm-hmm. as human beings from other uh, even higher uh, order mammalian um, organisms. Mentalization and the uh, ability and speed, efficiency, and just kind of auto-conscious level processing that we can carry out this very complex um, neocortical process with, to me, is just astounding. Um, It's something that is happening even in uh, some of the earliest moments of life. Mm -hmm. We're making sense of uh, kind of, if you imagine the moment that you uh, pick up the phone, it's now on and the microphone's picking things up and signal is being communicated that's kind of like how it is at the very beginning of life the second that um the those processes become mature enough to start picking up signal even in utero they're being made sense of and stacked Mm -hmm. in certain ways and mentalization is something that comes when you start looking at all of those sensory pieces being put together once we start to have enough functional maturity in our brains to start saying hey i actually feel different from moment to moment. I have needs that change. And also my world around me seems to have 
different things going on, different pieces moving, different people coming in and out of the picture, um, different ways of then uh, effect on me and how I uh, go about getting my needs met. And so mentalization is something that uh, Peter Fonagy coined to name that process by which we would make sense of our intrapersonal world and then how the interpersonal world shapes and um, kind of partners or collaborates with that to form, as I said in the very beginning, like the very makeup of our brains. Um, there's all kinds of different rabbit trails that we can go down on that. Um, so as you're, as you're going through and describing all of that, I'm just always in awe of how, how amazing our brains are to not just think, feel, or lead to be, you know, a way of behaving, but to be able to think about thinking, mm -hmm. think about feeling, think about behavior and how all of that comes together and impacts one another. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that ability to, um, it is really fascinating. We, I think we almost take for granted our ability to do that and it mm -hmm. just becomes so natural. We don't even recognize how much thought or uh, making meaning of or making sense of those things that we do. And Bridger, as you're talking about, that starts way, way, way early on. Yes. Like our systems are, are already creating the ability and creating these templates for understanding mm -hmm. from those earliest experiences of thinking, feeling, and behaving and starting to, to bring that all together to say, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And yeah. how do certain thoughts and feelings, you know, impact my behaviors and how do those behaviors impact the way other people are then responding to me and yeah. all of that coming together to bring this structure to our system to make sense of things. Yes. And I think in um, just our everyday understanding, we take a lot of that for granted. Yeah. yeah. And we don't really think about the all of the just, I mean, hundreds, thousands of processes that are going on below the surface to mm -hmm. give way to your conscious thought. Mm -hmm. You know, consciousness is one of the, at least our conceptualization of consciousness, is one of our last psychological processes to emerge before we actually say or act intentionally. Mm -hmm. There's the unconscious that then gives way to the subconscious, which gives way to the conscious. And mentalization is something that is recognized typically as a conscious kind of process, something that's very high cortical or neocortical and functioning in the brain, but it relies on the structural integrity mm -hmm. of the lower brain systems, which are developing all throughout your life. Um, one of the interesting pieces of uh, kind of research that's come out in the past 20 years about mentalization is how necessary it is to have an involved parent early on in life because that uh, interaction between parent and child is what shapes uh, the very interconnectedness of the brain mm -hmm. that then gives way to a more uh, accurate quote-unquote sense of mentalization not that I'm filled with shame and my world thinks I'm bad but uh, the world is open to me the world is uh, something that I can uh, express myself in safe to explore yeah mm -hmm. absolutely and so if that um, comes with an involved and uh, positive caregiver quote-unquote and that's defined very specifically but a caregiver that seems to be inviting of the infant self-expression, the mentalization that comes out of that is going to be uh, 
giving way to greater Mm -hmm. Mm self-expression to say I have thoughts and feelings and I want to just own them and Mm -hmm. I want to say them and I'm curious of what other people are thinking and feeling and And it's safe to feel them and own them and and have value and And people want to know Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely I think it feels really important to kind of talk about that uh, piece of mentalization can be conscious but there is much of it that that occurs subconscious yes Um, you know, I think there's a lot of different ways of defining and understanding unconscious, subconscious, conscious, um, and rather than go through all the different ways, I think what's relevant here is that typically what we would consider unconscious, we can't even get to it if we wanted to. It's, it's very, very below the surface, but that subconscious layer, a lot of our mentalization occurs there and it's the decision or the ability to tune into it and Mm. be aware of it, Mm. um, that can vary from person to person and within an individual really varies from moment to moment, how much we're paying attention to our mentalization of other people. But regardless of if our attention is on it, it is always occurring, right? So when we're around other humans, or even if we're just thinking about other humans, mentalization is occurring in order to have some structure of making sense of our relational world, Mm. whether we're specifically paying attention to and working with what we're mentalizing or not. Mm. Um, And when it comes to uh, understanding how trauma and our life experience really shapes and produces mentalization, I think that awareness of it's happening whether we're paying attention to it or not. Mm -hmm. And it is very influential to us, to Mm -hmm. how we feel in relationships, to how we experience relational things. Um, It is impacting us all the time. Mm -hmm. I think it would feel really helpful here to just give an example of, uh, I think there's so many, maybe a few examples of what mentalizing is and then go into that place Mm of the impact that trauma has and how trauma could shift that same scenario to be processed very Mm -hmm. differently. Mm -hmm. I think just using one of the examples that we've used already in this podcast, if you remember back to talking about Jack Mm -hmm. and that whole process, Mm -hmm. I think that's an easy one to kind of take apart um, in looking at, because our concept of RUAC is so central to mentalization. I mean, it actually is built on um, really the fundamental components of accurate and, uh, adaptive mentalization, wherein we can recognize, we can seek to understand, we can seek to then shift into attunement and we can hopefully culminate in co-regulation. Yeah. That is the hope of mentalization. Mm-hmm. Um, so that story I think is a great one to kind of take yeah. apart. So I don't know if you want to maybe kind of yeah. retell it yeah, in a um, way. Now, if, those of you who have listened back to that time, that's been a little bit. So I don't yeah. know how clear my memory will be on the story, but we'll get the, the parts generally, right? Yeah. <laughs> and Bridger, you might remember too to add into it, but I have a nephew who's nine and um, gosh, the whole story. You're talking about where he came out to the playground, which I guess, which example are you? <laughs> well, he, the one I'm thinking of is the one uh, wherein he decided to take whatever punishment you would give because yeah yeah yeah. okay so my I have a couple little kids and Jack our my nephew is over playing with my kids and they had gotten into some kind of fight and they come running up and my daughter and I are up on at the playground area and the kids are bickering about something and so I had told them, you guys need to give each other your space and kind of have some space away because they were really upset with one another. Mm. 
and he started arguing and was, you know, went into a very cognitive rebuttal as to why that didn't make any sense and started arguing in that. And what I told him, I said, okay, buddy, you need to, you need to go inside and take some time. We'll be in in just a minute and I'll talk to Graham Mm. and then we'll be in. And he refused. He, no, I'm not going in. I'm not going in. Okay, well, we've got to handle this. And so I had told him, like, either you either need to listen to my words and go inside or we'll have to have some kind of consequence. And he's like, okay, that's fine. I'll take a consequence. I'm not going in. Yeah, I refuse. And he was really upset at this. So I just walked with him and him and I, I was like, well, I'll come inside with you. Then he went. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he followed me in and then we had this talk and he just broke down in tears and eventually got to processing him feeling like if he were to go inside to calm down, he would be leaving everybody else and be alone Yeah. in that. And so he would rather take any consequence that was going to be given to him in that moment rather than being isolated from the rest of the group mm-hmm. and, you know, leaving everyone else and going in to the house. Yeah. So there's two pieces that I kind of want to hone in on. So you're just even becoming aware that there was an issue in the interpersonal group of the kids. Yeah. You're showing excellent, highly tuned mom level mentalization there of being able to pick apart um, really like what's going on and maybe what needs to happen um, before you're even conscious of how Jack will respond versus how Graham will respond. Like Mm -hmm. you're entering into the space even with an awareness that, okay, we need to uh, sort of, you know, kind of validate or match the level of activation and bring it down. And then from there, we can kind of... uh, be patient with what the activation is really kind of stemming from between whoever it's coming uh, out between, and then we can address it individually and hopefully end in reunification. Mm-hmm. So that's like, I just imagine because of my knowledge oh, yeah. of you, exactly what you're going for. Exactly. It's exactly <laughs> what you're going for. So in that you approach with that sort of already in your body as this is the process that I'd like to carry out mm-hmm. as the leading parent. But then from there you ha- you run into a problem, which is that you're trying to um, direct, uh, very activated, small humans. Mm, it's rough. <laughs> activated, small humans. Yes. That trying phrase. to direct. <laughs> yes. It's yes. like hurting cows. Oh, wow. Exactly. And so your, your mentalizing, um, then starts to pick up on new information, which is that there's obstinance mm-hmm. to your like totally, um, altruistic, loving maternal desire. Like Jack, why are you resisting me right now Mm -hmm. i'm trying to help you yeah i'm doing and he's no i'm not going to do it so in that i want to switch over to talking about jack so jack is carrying out and i wasn't there but i'm just like imagining this in my head using my own mentalization abilities (laughs) by the way great Um, added example (laughs) um but in that jack is trying to carry out his correction of boundaries that were just broken or whatever was upsetting him He's trying to explain and trying to get uh, into a space interpersonally with Graham. And was Breland there as well? Yeah, I don't think she was a part of it. Okay. Yeah. So just with Graham. So in that space, then um, trying to get the recognition and validation from Graham about coming over to Jack's side of things Mm -hmm. that I'm right and what I believe needs to happen right now. Yes. And yet here, Auntie Jen comes in (laughs) and starts to direct and tried to get in my way and you without knowing exactly what was going on singled him out Mm -hmm. that okay you're clearly 
you know, very upset. I wonder if it, you know, kind of just stepping away for a second would be better. I'm going to talk to Graham and then we can maybe come back together. And so that right there was a process that actually pushed Jack further mm-hmm. into dysregulation yeah. because he's like, that's literally the opposite of what I want to happen. Yeah. I'm very upset right now because it feels like I'm not being seen and I'm not being heard. And I was actually hurt by this thing. Um, but I'm not getting my voice across. And so in that your two mentalizations kind of came into like dissonance yeah. with each other. What are you thinking right now? No, where I was going is and the, my mentalization and deciding, okay, this is what's going on. The conflict is there. They need space apart. Yeah was really the originating factor of the conflict in the first place. There was mm-hmm. the three of them were trying to play together and Breland wasn't part of the fight, but it was the, which one of the three of us is going to get left out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it was Jack, you know, like overpowering Graham and he's the one who comes running up crying, which is why I'm like, I need to tend to him. Yeah. Graham is the one. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and then Jack's like super cool guy. Like, yeah. hey, whatever, man, like whatever. I'm fine. You've got the problem. Yes, yeah. exactly. So then when he's asked to like step away and him and Graham to have space, the thing that Jack was originally fearing of, if I don't overpower, I will be the one mm-hmm. left out. Yeah. And so then yeah. that was like, oh, now Aunt Jen's coming in mm-hmm. and is creating the thing I fear most. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I feel like there's just so many layers of complexity and there's, you know, a whole conversation about why does his system show up with that fear, with that um, activation. But I think like what is really fascinating is if you stand back from that scene and you look at this grouping of four human beings mm-hmm. all looking at each other, yeah. <laughs> yeah. there's these very um, kind of pregnant pauses in any kind of encounter like that. And what those pauses are is each person deep in their own mentalization, yes, mm-hmm. trying to understand and make sense of and project their own experience into the experience of the others and then back again Mm -hmm. filtering through layers upon layers of information and what is just astounding is how early in life children are able to start doing this Mm -hmm. Mm. and how much we keep track of relationally just you know massive amounts of tidbits of information that little kids are, are storing and holding. And then as we get into adulthood, um, it, the complexity just kind of continues to emerge and what we're able to hold in any given instant is really quite profound. Yes. And uh, like, so listening to this story, it's like such a micro moment in a parenting situation. Like how many, (laughs) how many hundreds or thousands of little moments like that occur, but internally for each person involved in that, it is just lightning speed processing occurring. Mm -hmm. And that, uh, the mentalization, I think, you know, another piece that I want to highlight is that it's also reciprocal communication between all of that aware thought and what's occurring in our body right? The sensation and the feeling that's bubbling up and the emotion that goes with it. And then trying to project into what's that other person feeling in their body and their emotions. Oh yeah. I mean, there's just so much of that flinging back and forth. It's profound. Hearing you say all that makes me think of there was a moment where, you know, in his resistance of me, all of my own feelings are coming up in that. And you know, that frustration and like, 
hey, like I got to take control here. Like, and this like nine year old's telling me what to do, oh, and no. I don't like that. Right. And, like, and defending and it with cognitive so sure of himself. Yeah. <laughs> but to move like a moment that I can recall it shifting into like a reaction on my part. Mm-hmm into being able to mentalize what was happening for him and I could like immediately see like oh I'm like dishing out these potential like consequences threats and it's like it's not he's not budging and in fact he's getting more resistant Mm -hmm. and like digging his heels in almost literally except for I wasn't actually trying to drag him (laughs) but in that that moment of like oh I need to switch. This needs to shift. And that's when I was like, I'll come inside with you. Mm -hmm. And that it was through that ability to say like, uh, like move that into my conscious awareness of what he was then feeling in that moment to then change my action in that. And instead of reacting to him, have intentional action with him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, in that space, the reason that it ended ultimately in a, in a more attuned and and co-regulated place was the fact that you were able to bring it, bring intention in yourself to that realization that you saw that, Oh, actually Jack is hurt Mm -hmm. and would actually, would actually really love to spend time with me. Mm Mm-hmm. And so we can maybe go in together. Yeah. And it was in that then, uh, you know, kind of secret moment to Graham and Breland because they weren't inside right. with Jack and you that Jack was able to kind of more so just melt yeah. into you. And mm-hmm. share about him feeling like he was going to be left out. Mm-hmm. And yeah, all mm-hmm. of that was mm-hmm. able to come in. Mm-hmm. I think that that kind of that moving reaction into action, like the difference between being able to act on something and react to something is one of the concepts we want to really highlight in this because this becomes so relevant to like, why is mentalization significant for us and developing that? It's something that it is, it's ongoingly being developed, but we can really tune into like further developing it for our children, like the conscious awareness of it and tuning into that ourselves. When we talked about Ruach in the last several episodes, like learning a, a strategy like that that says, what is it like to like pause and take time to recognize and understand and attune mm-hmm. and co-regulate? Yeah. What's coming up for oh, you? Oh, man. Uh, just taking apart that whole scene in my head. Um, because what one piece that I want to get to in this conversation is how mentalization really comes to be. Because if mentalization is the process by which we make sense of our own thoughts, feelings, and emotions, and how we make sense of another person's thoughts, feelings, and emotions to carry out then what we desire between us. That means that every memory, every experience that we've had in our lifetime is shaping the way we're carrying out that process Mm -hmm. in the moment. Mm -hmm. So if you think about Jack's, um, you know, experience of, even as you said, the cognitive, aloof, unaffected, I'm good. Oh yeah. I'm cool. He's a master. Yeah. It's your problem. (laughs) I'm right. That's a given. And so you really, I'm just waiting for you to come onto my side of things yeah. and think about where that came from. And then <laughs> for Jack or for Graham, his uh, voice not being heard and him then running to you mm-hmm. like uh, so many times that's happened. Oh man. Breland then being like, 
I'm out of this. I, have nothing to do I don't with even any know of this. what's going on. Like <laughs> there it's that I don't know, mom. Like I'm I was totally trying innocent. basically doing what you're trying to do mm-hmm. <laughs> all the time. Um, and then for you to come in and say, okay, there's activation. I want to ultimately help this end in greater connection. And so here's what I'm going to do. So looking at each of those kind of perspectives that to me helps understand, helps us understand what the mentalization was really kind of working to, uh, get to for each of you. Um, for Jack, it was, I'm right. And I need to be shown that I'm right. And for the situation to be working out in my favor for Graham, it was, I need mom to tell me that I'm right. <laughs> and uh-huh. for Breland, it was to stay out of the hot box. Maybe it was my <laughs> fault seat. <laughs> and for you, it was that I want this to ultimately end in greater connection. Mm-hmm. But when you put all those together, it doesn't always it rarely ever yeah. actually works that out because the strategies to get to that point or mm-hmm. to get to those places that each of you desires would actually hurt the other person. Mm-hmm. And it had to just as Jack hurt you mm-hmm. in a way by being obstinate and saying, no, I'm not doing it. I don't care. Yeah. And then you also threatening to hurt him by yeah. removing him. Right. You know, all of those pieces to me just so factor in. And when we start to look at it through the lenses of mentalization, this insight, I think, is just so important to have for like why the situation went the way that it did, how it could have gone um, and maybe what helped it from not going to that place. Yeah. And as you describe each one of those people, us in that, knowing that that specific person was shaped moment by moment by moment from every life experience before that yes to be the one in that position in that situation mm-hmm. like it is from the shaping throughout their development 100 that orients like what that strategy is and how they're making yeah. meaning and sense of that situation that's exactly right well and i think it's relevant that like while yes we talk a lot about the shaping power of trauma every experience is shaping yes. regardless of whether yeah. it is yeah. traumatic call it or traumatic not. or yeah. not yeah um and uh, positive experiences like mm-hmm. experiences of reward and affirmation totally. and um, anything that has some kind of charge to it ends up being very powerful and shaping um, but also things that just happen a lot things yeah. that are repetitive yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah um they also have a significant impact and then you know you mix all that together with our genetics and that's how you get unique personality for each individual yeah yeah, absolutely. And that to me is where it really just makes sense from a just neurobiological perspective of why we have the strategies we do, why we double down a lot of times um, in the utilization of our strategies. Like why does Jack continue to use that strategy even though he's interacting with, with you a lot? And that seems to be a pattern of yeah. that interactive kind of tug of war <laughs> is that he doubles down on his strategy, plants mm-hmm. the flag even deeper and says, I don't care, Anjan, I'm not going anywhere. Uh-huh. And then you try to like work your way around it. Why is that the case? Somehow that mentalization equation ultimately works out mm-hmm. for their organization of mind, like mm-hmm. for the way they're putting together their world. Again, like I said in the very beginning of the episode, this, the, mentalization is the sort of result of the answers to questions like, where do I fit in the world? Um, what does the world think of me? Mm-hmm. What do I know about the world? Mm-hmm. What do I know about other humans? What do I think other humans think about me? Mm-hmm. You know, those types of, 
uh, sometimes like existential and then other times like very practical questions. Well, and I think it's, it's also kind of fascinating that at least in the felt experience of it, particularly when you're, we're young, it doesn't always feel like a question. It actually feels more just like, this is how it is. Yeah. Right. That I'm not going to the world or going to a relationship going, how do you see me? Mm-hmm. It's simply in the way that people interact with us that we are given the conclusion of yes. this is who you are. Yeah. And uh, so when the, when little kids show up, uh, oh, okay, so I have a good example of this that is like really obvious in my family. So I have one sister and we're 20 months apart. And in so many ways, we're like super similar human beings. <laughs> but from a very, very young age, there was this uh, kind of repetitive story of my sister was the shy one and I was not. And as an adult, kind of reflecting on when that story would get told and how it would get told, the truth is, is that behaviorally, she and I were not that different. But it was just enough different. And as we got older, the shaping sent us in tremendously different directions because it happened so many different times and in so many different ways. What was actually true early, early on is that my sister was reserved. Mm -hmm. She just didn't say as much. She wasn't actually that shy. She's really not that shy still. Mm -hmm. But she's very good at making people think she's shy because she has been shaped in that way for so long. And if you ask her until she was probably well into her 30s, she would have told you, oh, yeah, I'm shy. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I recall a conversation as adults where she sort of had this realization of, oh, I'm not actually shy. Yeah. Because she can like, because I was saying to her, I'm like, you get up and you like can do public speaking and you do all these things and you're bubbly and you like lead these things and huge groups. And she's like, oh, <laughs> but we know exactly where it came from. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we see that in, in families all the time that it's not so much who are you actually? It's what are the stories that were told over me yes. and to me about me? And we end up internalizing that. And that becomes a very significant part of how we mentalize our own identity and the identity of others. Yeah. We're getting at something quite philosophical at this point to me, um, but still very practical. Like what is actually the distinction between who you are and who the world says you are to you? Mm-hmm. Do you know the difference? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say most people probably have no idea. Most people don't even know that you could ask that question. (laughs) Honestly, (laughs) like that's a ton of what I do in therapy is like helping people to realize that, Hey, the mirror that was shown to you may not have actually been a mirror. Mm -hmm. It may have been another, another self portrait. Mm -hmm. Someone's projection. Yeah. That you're trying to now measure up to or become, um, that to me is really the story of mentalization. It's it's kind of unpacking, and I appreciate the fact that Melissa, you said that there those aren't actually questions in inter intrapersonally. They're more so just like ways yeah, of organizing yes. experience. Yes. But yeah. to me, I always reframe them as questions because yes. it's it's something that. To me, just seems so human right. to wonder. Well, that's the point. They could be questions, yeah, because questions can have more than one answer potentially, even contradictory. Yes, answers. statements yeah. do not. And so early in life, because we experience them more like statements, it's yeah. often much later that we realize, wait a second, yeah. it didn't have to be that way. I'm not shy. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so fascinating just to look at how much the stories shape and then it continues to perpetuate the mm-hmm. development and in yes. that way and perpetuate the story. Yeah. 
even to be more rigid around that. And the mechanism that that happens is mentalization. Yeah. Because I am I am listening to you and watching the way that you interact with me when I am a child and you're an adult, and your you know thoughts, opinions, feelings, etc., are so powerful to my system that they kind of psychically invade me. Right. They they get mm. into me in a way that is really impactful and I hold them as valuable content and then I reference them from then on out and that interaction between us and our environment is the stuff of mentalization like that's how that shaping occurs so this is one way this is just like a metaphor like a word picture that I use to help people understand um I don't know if any of you are archaeology nerds um, not as much as you but I definitely I really like it. anthropology and they're very hey, close they hang out <laughs> yes that's amazing um, but <laughs> yeah um, the um, like one of the images that I give so much uh, kind of special attention to in trying to describe what mentalization is is like in an archaeological dig especially um, it, when the discipline was first um, kind of uh, developed, the archaeologists were not the ones doing the digging a lot mm-hmm. of times. The archaeologists were making sense of what was found. Mm-hmm. So there were so many uh, people that were actually doing the hard labor of digging that weren't ever credited with um, the, you know, kind of credited with the find of what mm-hmm. was actually unearthed. It was the archaeologist. And to me, I always I kind of draw a parallel between mentalization and the archaeologist in that way. Because the archaeologist of the mentalization process is just making sense of what stimuli were Mm -hmm. found Mm -hmm. in the environment by the lower brain processes. And so when we're thinking about what our actual thoughts about ourselves and the way we're interacting with another person, it's a lot of really privileged information that was gathered through other means, through our uh, lower brain parts that were shaped early on in development and still carry that same kind of um, story up through into the brain. So Jen, just as you were kind of talking about how fascinating it is to look at that process, that the reciprocal kind of process, the archeologist is just making sense of what pieces Mm -hmm. were brought to it, Mm -hmm. which assumes also, which is something that happened. Many pieces were not brought to the archeologist. Right. And Mm -hmm. if you think about that from a, you know, just from a neuroceptive mentalization standpoint, there's a lot of sensory information. There's a lot of input that we just miss. Well, and that has to do so much with uh, like the power of attention. Yeah. Like what is paid attention to versus what is kind of effectively ignored or um, dismissed, mm. right? And you see this kind of in every level of the process, right? On the individual level of what do I pay attention to in my own experience? What sensory mm. information is... Um, very, I don't know, the volume is up on it and I can't ignore it versus the stuff that is just kind of in the background that I don't pay attention to at all. That happens on a very individual level, but it also happens on a very broad level, a cultural level of what we're taught to uh, focus on. Um, In Western culture, we're, you know, so hyper-focused on physical appearance, for instance. And so a ton of attention is placed on that. And if I were to ask people what attributes of the human experience are often ignored in your culture, 
it would probably be hard to answer that. And that's kind of the point. Hmm. We don't know what we are ignoring. (laughs) Or, you know, if I ask somebody like, you know, what what, uh, physical experiences do you normally ignore during your normal day? They don't know how to answer that. Yeah. And, and it's the, the awareness that we have huge pockets of human experience, both on the kind of micro scale of the individual and the macro scale of the, all of us that we're just not paying attention to. Yeah. And that's a huge part of how we mentalize what gets included versus what gets ignored. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, I w- just wanted to add into all of this as we are talking about what is mentalizing and how is that shaped and as you're sitting here self-reflecting possibly on that, knowing that therapy is a place, it doesn't have to be done in therapy, but Mm -hmm. therapy is a place to explore that and to begin to ask those questions and understand it um, maybe on another level and even start to reshape Mm -hmm. how your system has been shaped in that way. So if you're, if you're thinking, Hey, if I consider the way I mentalize certain situations or the way I view myself, even in my own experiences, and it doesn't, feel good right it doesn't it's not setting me up well that is something that can be reshaped and that we're not born in this way and just this rigid um way of looking at the world and ourselves and it can't and we're not stuck like that Mm -hmm. it's something that can be reshaped and we can experience healing from and therapy is a really good place to do that yeah yeah well i think that you know, is kind of the underpinnings of the majority of what we do in therapy. Like, yeah, it, it is what we do is sort of, well, I must say mess with, and that sounds very flippant, but <laughs> just mm. kind of feel that way. We, we interact with mentalization processes and we're asking the individual, is this way of mentalizing actually helping you have the kind of life mm-hmm. that you want to have? Mm-hmm. Um, is this way of, uh, yeah, thinking, but it's so much more than thinking of making sense of your world internally, getting you the life that you want on the outside. Um, and most people don't know that there could be other ways like, and not just like little tweaks here and there, not like, Oh, well just change your self-talk. Not, not like that (laughs) so much deeper than that. Um, just like a, a personal example, it feels much more like switching cultures, like that feeling of culture shock where you're like, wait a second, I don't understand how this functions. Like, like you're on, you know, in a public transportation system in a new country and like you're being touched in ways that you've never been touched and people are like looking and interacting and moving and you don't even know how to like go with the flow of the crowd mm. because everything is so different. That is a mentalization process, mm. right? Our ability to flow with the other people around us. And so when we find ourselves not flowing with life the way we want to, working with how we're mentalizing it can get really dramatic changes in yeah. the way that we feel and experience our, our days. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And to me, the study of mentalization and if you spend any time really like thinking about it or looking at it, it actually shows why you cannot just change your self-talk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mentalization exactly. is, that would be like one of the day laborers trying to tell the archaeologist what to do. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, in the process of learning how to be intentional with shaping your mentalization, that actually starts first with even just understanding what safety is, mm-hmm. which I think is why... Um, trauma matters so much because as we've talked about at length in this podcast at this point, um, 
trauma really changes the way that we even know what safety feels like right. or how to identify it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so for, for those of you that are listening, wondering, you know, like, okay, how do I be intentional with my mentalization? How do I bring awareness to it? How do I actually start to reshape it towards greater security and relational health? That to me starts with safety, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. finding a moment even to have safety and then seeing if we can really be intentional about recognizing safety and mm -hmm. then knowing where it's not yeah. so that we can then set up, you know, limits around us that protect us yeah. from that. And then seeing if there are people in our life that we can find safety with. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. You guys have any other concluding thoughts about mentalization? There's like so much more to say. Yeah. I feel well, like and I also <laughs> feel compelled, like just type in mentalizing to the like, podcast player that you're looking at um therapist uncensored is a great mm. resource that mm -hmm. has multiple episodes on mentalizing yeah. um, we're only touching it here just because it's it's very critical for where the podcast is going yeah. to talk about mentalizing and we'll get into themes that are very related to this but mentalizing is something that we definitely need to spend more time as humans than just listening to a 30 minute podcast on yes very much so, so mm -hmm. continue digging <laughs> I caught it. That's good. The archaeology joke. That's an archaeology nice. joke. I liked it. I keep liked digging. It. So speaking of keep digging, um, not not really. It's a terrible segue. You can say that after any ending. <laughs> speaking, speaking of, of no. Uh, so we before we go, we wanted to share with you guys that we actually have a training opportunity coming up that uh, is specifically for humans which is not specific at all. <laughs> um, but this is our trauma-informed care training. And so much of what we've covered on this podcast this season is um, a part of that training. And in the training, it's three days long, and we're able to really go in deep on those concepts and explore them together. And it's entirely focused on uh, giving individuals or groups of people that maybe work together um, a way of talking about and understanding the impact of trauma on human beings, on our nervous system, on our relationships, why it has the impact that it does, and what trauma actually is. Um, not just the events that we usually associate with it. Um, so that's a three-day training. And if you want more information, you can go to our website at beyondhealingcenter.com and look at the trainings website or tab there, and it'll give you all of that information. But we have um, a training scheduled for January 13th through the 15th of next year, and you can register on the website. And what we would really love is for you guys to think about um, any groups of people that you're a part of that maybe you guys could do it together because one of the biggest benefits that we see is when you go to this kind of training together and now you have a common and shared language, a way of communicating together about the experiences that you've had both in your past and in your present. And uh, it's really a way of kind of shaping the cultures that you're a part of, the little cultures like families and workplaces and then the bigger, broader cultures as well of really beginning to have a, a way of talking about this so that we can interact with each other in a more trauma-informed um, and aware way. So we would love to see you at that training, and you can have a look on our website. You can also email us for more information or questions that you have at trainings at beyondhealingcenter.com. So thank you so much, guys. Safe journeys, everyone. We hope that you've enjoyed this podcast episode and that it will aid you in your healing journey. If you are feeling inspired by something that you heard today and desire to seek out your own therapy, we would encourage you to do so 
and would be honored to support you in finding a therapist that is the right fit for you. You can contact us by emailing therapy at beyondhealingcenter.com. If you want to stay connected, please subscribe to this podcast for more episodes, leave us a review, and follow us on social media by searching Beyond Trauma Podcast. It could also be this a little bit. This thing does have kind of like a toasty <laughs> smell. It's a buttery smell to <laughs> yeah. me. Yeah. Buttery? Yeah. It smells like toast. It does have a. Wow. Yeah, just the convection. Mm-hmm. Toast. Okay, I'll open it. You can with smell it though, right? I can't smell <laughs> thing. Not a thing. I'm impressed you can. Oh, I, I can smell fine. Because you're totally well. Nothing's wrong with me. No. Okay. <clears throat> you're not totally hiding a cold, are you? Is your... Wait, who's closing with the training? Me. Okay, you're doing the training. You'll introduce the episode. I'll do... What's the episode? Well, I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to start, uh-huh. and I'll Mentalizing. talk about retreats, and then you can talk about whatever you want to talk about I don't know. Mentalizing. We're talking about mentalizing. Just people. mentalizing? Mentalize. Trauma's impact on mentalizing. Oh, shit. Okay. <clears throat> Are you oriented, Richard? I'm trying to figure out where to start. Very basic. Simple. What is it? Oh, that's a good place to start. What is mentalizing? Sick. Ready? Yeah. Let's go.